Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I invite you, let's go in our Bibles together to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 will be in the first eight verses today. Mother's Day is a fitting day. It's a wonderful day to thank God for the women that he has used to bring us life. It's also wise and appropriate. It's good to show honor to those ladies, to those mothers who have adopted children, to those mothers who have birthed children, to those, and it was mentioned yesterday as the ladies gather, the ladies who have spiritually invested and mothered lives in the church, often overlooked not to be ever underestimated. The beauty, it's even in Scripture. It's in Scripture we see ladies who had no children of their own and they waited and they served and they loved. Keep in mind that nothing done for Christ, nothing done through Christ is ever wasted. It's never wasted. Susanna Anesley was the 25th, 25th and youngest child born to Dr. Anesley. That was his second wife. She was the youngest. She was born January 20th, 1669. She was married to an Anglican minister by the name of Samuel Wesley at the ripe old age of 19, maybe pushing 20. She gave birth to somewhere between 17 and 19 children. Ten of those children survived. Ten. A lot of us have grandparents that have stories like this. That for every birth was a miscarriage or lost a child in infancy. This family went through so much. I've shared with you not long ago that, that John Wesley was a brand pulled from the parsonage fire. That was their house. That was, she was the mother of that household, that parsonage. That was in 1709. She was a strong-willed lady, very strong-willed. She set aside time each day for each child. She poured into their hearts, into their minds and lives, and she cultivated, and her motto for life was strength guided by kindness. Strength guided by kindness. When her husband was away, there was different times. One time he was uh, put in jail because they couldn't pay a debt until finally the congregation took up enough money and they bailed their pastor out of jail. <laughs> That's difficult. Where's your pastor? How come he's not speaking to you? He's, he's in jail. He's, he's in debt. But it was difficult. They lived on very tight resources. When her husband was away on another occasion, not in jail, she began a Sunday afternoon, evening Bible study. They would read one of the Psalms. They would pray together. And then she would pull a sermon off a book, off a shelf out of a book of her husband's library. 
And the word started traveling and people started attending. This bothered her husband because she was gaining influence and people are coming to, what are, you know, what are you doing? I don't want you to take my job. So he, he, they had back and forth. Politically, they weren't aligned. He would pray for the king and she would not say amen at the end of the prayer. It led to some separations at times. Matter of fact, I think John Wesley was born after a reconciliation of a separation. Doesn't this help us to know that people who have gone before have gone through some difficulties and out of these difficulties, have they lost a child when they were so fatigued with all of this going on that one of the children's nurses was so exhausted that she, she slept on one of the infant children and that, children di- that child died. I mean, this family went through some amazing, difficult trials. Eventually, this woman known as the mother of Methodism, she sowed seeds of faith into her children. They would come to repent of their sins and turn away from just simply being religious. My dad's a pastor. I was baptized. I'm fine. To where they realized we have not yet been converted and they gave their lives to Christ. And how much the world owes to this mother I encourage you, read a biography of her life. Get a hold of biographies of these saints who have lived and given us examples. Share them with your children. Paul the Apostle, he wrote to Timothy about the infinite value. And he reminds Timothy of the value of his mother and his grandmother, 2 Timothy 1.5. And he says, I am reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, this is what he's talking about. This is what resided in his mother and grandmother, and they they passed on to him. Now, they couldn't make him a convert, but they gave the environment. If you have been raised in a home where it's a Christian home and you were raised, you're blessed. And often it's disregarded and taken, advantage, taken for granted. But it's a genuine blessing. And he says this, but as for you, Timothy, listen, Paul's writing to him. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Where did he learn this from? Well, it started at home with his mother and his grandmother. And you have firmly believed knowing from whom you've learned it. Paul can include himself in that. Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't there when he was a child. Who was there? His mother and his grandmother. What is the usefulness of them inculcating scripture into a young heart? Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy, you have no excuse. God has blessed you and he has enriched you and you have everything available to you. You have everything you need. We just sang that song. If I have you, I have everything. There's a a negative side of that song. If I have everything and I don't have Christ, what do I have? Nothing. Nothing of eternal value. And this is what 
Paul is reminding Timothy about. Now back in Nehemiah, the construction project came to a completion. They wrapped it up, but they wrapped it up just in time for a Jewish New Year a celebration. It was a national holiday. The physical work was completed, but the work of rebuilding lives in the Israelite community, like we unfolded last week, we began to unfold this. It's just starting. It's just beginning. Rebuilding lives is an ongoing process in this life. And the only way for our lives to be invested and not wasted is for them to be founded on the word of God. You remember what Jesus taught. We teach it to our children. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Both of them are building religious lives. One is easy and one fits within what I think and I feel, and this is my way of going. This is the way I was brought up. It's sand. The other way is hard. It's the foundation of the gospel that there's no other way other than Christ, and it cuts at us. It, it, it wounds our pride. It gets us, you know, the feathers raised up every now and I don't like that verse. I don't like that. Uh, how can God be that way? And, and if, who, who does God think he is? And it, and it calls out all of that self-centered gnarliness that's in all of us to be dealt with. They're in this ongoing work. Now, this passage mirrors the celebration of the Torah given through Moses at Mount Sinai, and all the people gathered, and there was celebration. Nehemiah chapter 8, if you follow along there in your Bibles. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, so we're going to see some different titles about his name and his office, to bring the book of the law of Moses. And we're also going to hear different titles for Scripture. That the Lord had commanded Israel. So verse 2, so Ezra the, the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, and Hashbanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achub, Shabbatai, Hodai, Messiah, Keltiai, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense 
so that the people understood the reading. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Five right responses this morning of God's people to the scriptures. The word of God that we hold right now in our hands. If we're gonna respond to the word of God the way we see here in Nehemiah's day, then number one, we need to gather under the word of God. We need to gather under the word of God. The word that describes the scene in Nehemiah's day is unity. It's really community. There's unity here. There's something in common. They all gather. They gather under the word of God. They gather as one man. Who is there? Let me just unpack this. Is you know who, how, where, when, what's going on? Who is there? Everyone. Everyone. All the people gathered. It's time to worship corporately. And what do God's people do? They gather. We sing the song, open up the heavens. We've waited for this day. We are gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire will burn our hearts with what? Truth. This is what we gather for, truth. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. So open up the heavens. We want to see you. Open up the floodgates like a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our praise. Your presence in this place, your glory on our face. We're looking to the sky, descending like a cloud. You're standing with us now. Lord, unveil our eyes. Show us your glory. Show us your power. Show us your glory, Lord. That's what we're saying, show us. Where are we going to see his glory? It's in his word. This is how he's revealed. Does that describe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? It's very different than if you work and people are, Monday, and how many days till the weekend, right? And they can get wasted and hurt all the weekend on Monday. And it's just like, oh, the weekend for us. We gather with the people of God to worship the living God. It sets, it's the marker of our week. Psalm 111, verse 1, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. That's what we do. We give all to the Lord. So we need to make room for more if everyone's going to gather, right? Someone said after Easter Sunday, Pastor, I think you probably need to start thinking about building a new building. (laughs) Yeah, praise the Lord, right? In the works. They were being facetious. It was funny. How did they gather? They they gathered united as one. They were unified. They were united as one. They gathered as one man. And this is very similar to Ezra chapter 3 when Ezra returned and they rebuilt the altar. And they gathered as one and they rebuilt the altar. some 13, 14 years before, there is here a sense of awe and wonder about what God has done for them. And they realize God is the one who's done this. He regathered us in this place for his glory and for the good of all nations. That's the covenant promise given to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whom who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, now here it is right here, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the covenant given through Abraham. Reiterated in Genesis 28, 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. When Peter preached, Acts chapter three, he applied all of those covenant promises to Abraham. Primarily, he was preaching to Jewish people, to Israelites. And he takes the Old Testament and he applies this to them, Acts 3.25. And he says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And who is he preaching? Jesus. We've waited, and he has come. And in the chapter before, he said, and you killed him, Messiah. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, blessed to be a blessing. See, often Israelites, they got that turned around. We have been chosen by God. Listen, whenever somebody takes the sovereignty of God, the doctrine of election, and it turns into, I've been chosen, they've misunderstood the Bible the Bible is clear that God is sovereign and he chooses, but he chooses to bless through, not to become arrogant, self-centered, and proud of. That's a complete obliteration of the gospel. So here we see it. Well, where did they gather? They gathered in the community. Now, this is kind of odd. This is a little strange. They had a place for worship. It was called the temple. It was just up the way. And yet here they're gathered in the community. They're out there by the water gate. They're in the heart of the city. You might say they're on Main Street. Now, there's something different, and so we don't take from this and say, so therefore, what we need to do is we need to close the doors on the church, and you know, next Sunday we'll go down on Main Street, and that's where we'll meet. Well, we could, but it doesn't solve anything, and we don't live in Israel in a theocracy under God as our king, we actually live here in a place, and wherever believers live, they live in a set nation with a government, and there's a place. So it isn't a combined government and church. Nevertheless, the people of God, the church of the living God, ought to have a presence in Main Street life. And whenever we think, I just go into this beautiful building that's the church, and that's where I do the religious thing, but out here, Monday through Saturday is my life, we've completely misunderstood, once again, God and his word and the point of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We touched on that last Sunday. Why didn't they just go up to the temple? Because if they're going to remain as a nation... The, the word of God and the people of God and the power of God and his presence are gonna to have to be pressed through every aspect of their lives. 
It's going to have to affect how they trade corn and fish and wheat and the cart to haul it on and the animals. And so you see the water gate, they're just down from the temple. They're in the shadow of it. But there's something unique that this day is a day celebrating God's faithfulness down throughout our history. As a church, we can gather anywhere. We can gather outside, and we have. We're the church. The church isn't the building. A building is important. Gives us a place to gather. But do you see, they're being pressed out into the community. Nehemiah and Ezra, they understand, they understand the time and what is needed. Well, when did they gather? They gathered on a holy day. It was a day that had been set apart by God. It wasn't because they said it was a holy day. Oh, false religions and people who like to get all, you know, people all twisted. They love to have conversations about, you celebrate Easter, you celebrate Christmas, and they get all up in uproar over these things. There's a day that's been set apart. It's on the first day of the seventh month. Comes out of Leviticus chapter 23. This was the first day of the Jewish civil new year. It also coincided with the Feast of Trumpets. It was a divine command for normal industry and commercial life to stop. That God's people needed rest. They needed to remember their God and what he had done for them. They needed to repent of their sin. And then an upswing, rejoice. God is good. He loves you. He's been faithful. Leviticus 23 tells us, speak to the people of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. A day set aside by God. Well, what about us? We don't celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, and we don't, you know, go out and build booths to stay in. Why? because we weren't the people carried through the wilderness. That was the Israelites. That was their heritage. Spiritually, I've been adopted and grafted into the family, but that's not my heritage. Jesus came, and he unites all of us, Jew and Gentile. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, as we gather on the first day of the week, also known as the Lord's Day in the New Testament, God has done something new. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is returning. So the Lord's day is important to the people of God. It's the pinnacle of our week. We gather and we worship. We gather under the word of God and number two, we love the word of God. We love the word of God. There's an urgency here. There's an urgency through the Old Testament prophet Amos. The Lord said, there's coming, there's coming a famine. The famine I'm not talking about is a famine for a lack of food. It's the lack of hearing the word of the Lord. They love the word of God. Here we see in this text, there was a hunger for the word. There was a hunger for the word. They told Ezra the scribe, the people did. You know, this, is, this isn't Nehemiah having to be the governor and given, given instruction or, 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 you know. This is the people saying, bring out the book. 
go get the book. And they're talking about scrolls. Get the law of Moses. The people are hungry for the word of God. Does that describe how you come to the Lord's house on Sundays? Recently, I think it was Stephen Demsich and I were talking about, I said, ooh, how long was that sermon? And he's like, well, <laughs> I said, oof, uh, you know. I said, but it's the people's fault. I pulled a saw. It's the people's fault. They listen and they're engaged and they, they're right there with me. So I, he's like, you sound a little bit like somebody else in the Bible. I said, I know. <laughs> Hungry for the word. Do you know, this was an answer to prayer before we came here. When we were in that season of about six months between ministries, we prayed three simple things. Lord, take us to a place that they love your word. Take us to a place that they will love us for who we are. Take us to a place that they'll have a heart and a love for those who don't yet know Christ. The three things I would, I would suggest and actually argue vehemently, the Lord has answered all three of those prayers. <laughs> uh, I, I'm blessed and humbled. You are loved, and I know that you love me and my family. But most of all, all of that is meaningless if you don't love the word, if I don't love the word. If you're not saying, bring out the book, go get the book. Like This is the pinnacle furniture of the whole place. This is it. Why? Because it holds a book, the word of the living God. There's authority in this word, not just a hunger, but they recognize there's authority. There's power in this word. This is what the Lord God has commanded Israel. This is no idol that doesn't say anything and falls over. I love that account. And, and you know, the, the gods of the Philistines and they put the ark, ah, we've captured their God and they come back the next morning and all their gods are face down. Like, ooh, help out the Dagon over here. He's a little tired last night, man. A rough night in the, in the temple, you know? And they put them all back. They come back the next day. Hands are broken down. Heads are rolled off. And they're like, oh, boy. And out breaks the boils, and they say, we got to get rid of this. There's something different about their God. That's the point. Does anybody say that about us? There's something, in a good way, different about you? Oh, yeah, people say that about you all the time. Well, there's something different about you. Our God has spoken, and he has not muttered. Our God speaks, and he creates. He's the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. This is our God, and all authority has been given to Jesus on heaven, in heaven, on earth, Everywhere, all authority given to Jesus. And John would write in his gospel, in the beginning was the word in verse one, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is eternal. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Sorry, all false religions. I'm not really sorry, but they say that Jesus is not eternal. Here it is. In him was life, and the life was light of, the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he says in verse 114, John 114, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There it is, tabernacled. It's the tent 
That's the feast of the tabernacles that they are. Remember, you were out in the wilderness and the Lord delivered you through, but it wasn't the permanent dwelling place. It was just camping. You're en route to somewhere. Tent cities were never meant to be a thing of permanency. We have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And who is he rejoicing in and elevating? Jesus. The word made flesh. So we love the word of God. We And we see it here. They listen to the word of God. The people of God, they gather under the word. They love the word. They listen to the word of God. And here we see clarity. There's clarity in scripture that God has spoken. There's organization that when we come to the text, which is why in a normal diet for our church, I don't do topical preaching. We don't do that. We don't just hop over here in this verse and then over there with that verse and over here because you can kind of construe any type of a belief system if you just put it all the way you want it. When we go through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it means that there's some weeks that I scratch my head and say, who chose this one anyway? (laughs) Oh yeah, but it's the word of God. So Lord, I need to shift down into bulldog here and go slow and pray and seek your face because this word that I might be struggling even to understand at the outset of a week is gonna be used by you in some unseen human way to minister to those that I see and sometimes don't see online. And you will use your word to hit right where they need today to convict, to encourage, and to bring them to the point that you desire for them, which is very different than what do I think the people need this week, you know? Well, let's see, I think they're, you know, and here I come with the message that, and then that person's not even there that day, you know? Like, oh, they showed up, the pastor, didn't he preach that one two weeks ago? Who's here that wasn't here two weeks ago? No, we let God direct our agenda here. Loved ones, the word of God must be delivered. Ezra, a scribe, and a priest. He's been waiting for this day. He's been preparing for this day. He's not winging it. He's not just going to stand up, you know, whatever the Lord leads me today, I'll just, you know. No, he's ready. He set out to change the world by studying and teaching the scripture. Think about this. He's been occupied in the ministry for about 14 years now, and now they say, Ezra, Go get the book. Go get the scrolls. Go get the word of God. Some 13, 14 years before Ezra chapter 7, verse 8, and Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For, here's here's what he says, here's how I got there. The good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That verse, highlight it, underline it. 
This is when no one's really watching too much. This is years before this day. And he says, you know what I'm, I'm going to do, Lord? You help me. Give me the grace. I'm going to study your word. Then I'm going to obey your word. I need to apply your word, first of all, to me before I teach it. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read your word, study your word, meditate on your word, teach your word, and then I'm going to read your word. And that's what I'm going to do. And then you take it and you, you be glorified in it. As a family, we were here about 14 years before we made that transition into eldership to serve in a team of leaders, which is what is in the pages of the New Testament, a biblical church. That was a long time to just be patient and teach the word and teach the word. And if you remember, if you were here, when we made that transition, what I did is I put on the screen everywhere that I had taught in the previous 13 years, eldership including my resume that I gave to the church before they called me to serve here as a pastor. So there's a human responsibility, but ultimately, if anything happens for the glory of God, it's what Ezra said, the good hand of my God was on me. That's it. And who gets the praise and the glory? God. It's his hand. If anything good happens in life, it's the Lord. The word must be understood, loved ones. It must be delivered, and then it must be understood. And here we see that men are gathered and women are gathered and all who can understand what they're hearing. Language matters, terms matter, words matter. So this is why in common practice, unless we're talking to our animals, we don't meow, we don't bark, we don't mumble and repeat repetitive phrases over and over and over and over again, which is what Paul confronted the Corinthians who were all given over to chaos and their misunderstanding of the gift of languages, tongues in the, in the New Testament church. And he said, if somebody comes in and they hear you all going crazy, they're going to say, these people are all going crazy. I can't understand anything. This is nuts. 1 Corinthians 14. He said, I would rather speak five words of intelligence than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Why? Because God has spoken and it wasn't this endless barrage of sounds. It was words. It was words. Let there be light. There was light. He created with his word. Words matter. Ezra was ready. He was ready to declare all the words of this life. What do you think his heart did when they said, Ezra, go get the book? How fast did he run? He might have run like Stephen Demsich. Just take off. There he goes. There's a scriptural basis here for ministry to little ones that cannot understand. There are infants and there are toddlers that are not in this assembly from early morning till noon. Uh, there are those working with infants and toddlers and kids next door so that words can be declared and people may understand. And at times, there's also children that gather because they can't understand and they can sit by mom and dad. They may not understand and process everything, but they hear words and they understand and they are grown up in the faith. 
The word must be understood. The word must be prioritized. The sermon was long. It's probably multiple sermons. But the people were attentive. They were attentive to the book of the law. They valued it. Why? That this is the word of God. Not every nation has the word of the living, creating God in their presence. Not everybody gets to hear this. And, and we understand we're hearing the word of the living God. And so they listened. They were attentive. It was about a six-hour assembly. Do you know this often happens? I've heard of it happening, and I've been there on foreign fields. When you finish your teaching, and you think, all right, everybody's probably for a break now, and they use the restroom, and you're like, okay, next. Yeah, we, we want more. We didn't come all this way from another country to have a little talk of 30 minutes and be here. We want you to teach us everything you can possibly teach us. And I'm looking forward, God willing, to be back in Zambia this September. And they're already planning and preparing. And Harrison wrote me they need mattresses for the 50, 60 that plan on coming. And our church and other churches connected with pouring into the lives of people. And I will tell you, we, we started at like 8 o'clock. I got there. They were already singing. They had already had an early morning session. I'm like, I missed that one the last time. That's what is going on here. It wasn't because they had to. That's what they got. That's what they came for. They're attentive to the book of the law. This is what Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, these were pagan people. These were people who didn't know God. They were in all types of idolatry and immorality. And they received the word. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Do you see the two, the two factors there? There's the human deliverer of the message and there's the divine message. And the Lord uses us. Look around you. That's the people that he uses to bring the word. But here's the beauty of this, the power of this, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. If you're here in Christ, the word of God is at work in you. And you're like, I have so far to go, and I see how far I've... But remember who you once were? You are not, we can say with John Newton, I'm not the man I was. I'm not the man that I one day will be. But praise the Lord, I'm not who I am. I am who I am. He took that from Paul. Number four, honor the word. Honor the word of God. Here we see the supremacy of this word. We honor the word of God. It's obvious that Ezra and Nehemiah, this day did not take them by surprise. They were ready. They weren't just building a wall. They weren't just restoring the gates. There was a platform, a significant platform being made. Some type of a platform and a pulpit. The elevated platform for the book. Why, why an elevated platform? Isn't that, you know, kind of arrogant? Don't we, don't we need it to everybody just kind of be on the same level? 
Ezra and Nehemiah were ready. They were ready for the heart work to begin, the spiritual work. It's been ongoing, but seems slow. And probably for many times, for many of those years, Ezra probably felt like, am I, am I accomplishing anything here? Is anybody listening? But without Ezra, we don't have Nehemiah. The platform was built for this purpose so that everyone could hear and everyone could see. And here's the point, so that all could understand. We want to understand. It's not about the people, but it is about the book. And therefore, those people who bring the book before the people, there's something integrated there. That you can't hate the messenger, but I love the book. It doesn't work. There's a love that overflows to the messenger of the word because you brought me the word, and so I love you. I don't worship you, but I love you. I'm thankful for you, but I love the word. And we honor the word. So here's this platform. And the platform, it's built, it's above. It says there's something significant. If you walk in, there's something that must happen there that everybody needs to see and everyone should pay attention to. Some would falsely call our commitment to the authority and the supremacy of Scripture as a type of idolatry. Do you worship the Bible? You worship the Bible. That's what you do. Loved ones, it's very hard to separate God from his word. So this isn't a superstitious, like this is like a rabbit's foot and here's the word of God and if I set it on my desk at a certain angle and the sunlight hits it, no, that's not it at all. There are some who, they disregard even Christianity. The minister of defense, Reggie White, I grew up with, you know, Green Bay Packers. And at the end of his life, something happened and he, he was overwhelmed and amazed that he was in the presence of a page of the Torah and got, got brought into the Hebrew roots. And, and Jesus and the cross and the gospel and all of that went by the wayside and his family attested, but he, he's at peace now because he saw a page of the Torah. That is a misplaced worship. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, you think that in them are eternal life? These are they which testify of me and you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. They're pointing to me. Moses said, listen to, and Jesus could say, me, and you're not listening. You're seeking to kill, to commit murder. It's the Lord's word. It's the gospel of our God. He's given to us his word so that we'll be faithful to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, hear it, proclaim it. It's his word for as long as we live, loved ones, does this describe how you approach in the free land that you live the word of God? Have you seen the video in China of believers who received a suitcase of Bibles and they weep with joy? It's humbling. It's convicting. It's stunning. And I think, I've, I've got how many Bibles? The Bible just available to me? That some years ago in North Korea, the Bible app was being downloaded by the thousands upon thousands that there were for years people who on helium balloons sent Bibles into North Korea to just put the word of God in a dark land. And here we are, and how many Bibles do we have? Does this describe our approach and attitude to the word? There were 14 men that stood with them. They probably helped them with the scrolls. 
It was a visual sign of support. All in all, there's about 30 guys there that day. There's male leadership, but understand in Judaism and in Christianity, there's an elevation of women to a rightful role that they elevate. It's not just for the men and women, you're out back. Here's where men and women and children are gathered. Jesus had wonderfully effective ministry to women. He loved them. He cared for them like no man ever. Notice the humble posture of the people. There's an elevated platform for the book, but there's a humble posture of the people. Look at the, the different reactions that they have to the word of God. And let me say this. This is wonderful if it matches what you say through the week if it matches your heart, if it matches our attitude, if it's just something we go through religiously because everybody else is, everybody else is kneeling now, I kneel. Everybody else is making a, a sign of the cross now. So everybody else is doing this. And if everybody is just going through a routine, it's a, absolutely of no worth. But look at what they're doing. The ears of all the people were attentive. They're dialed in. They're hungry for the word. They're listening to the word of God. They're listening for this message from the word. It's expositional. Most likely, Nehemiah this didn't stand up with, you know, with Ezra. Ezra there and just read the law all morning. He would read the law and he would give sense. And then there were others who probably stood in and they read and they gave the sense. But when Ezra opened the book, all the people stood. You know what comes to my mind right there? is when you go in a courtroom or you see the courtroom and the bailiff says before the all rise, right? There's this honor. It's like, stop talking. The judge is coming in the courtroom. Pay attention. Don't cross a judge in the courtroom, right? It's their courtroom. All rise. Everybody stands. The word of God is brought out. It's appropriate. We stand for the word. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen. What is that? We agree, so be it, let it be so. Amen and amen. You see the connection here between the preacher and the people. They're in this together. They hear the word of God. They respond to the word of God. That's where... At times, you will hear at the end, we'll pray or we'll say, this is the word of God. Lord, bless your word. This is your word. Let us not forget, this is your word. This is not an invention. Wise didn't think of this in the office this week. This is the word of the living God. He's doing something in the lives of believers, and it's through faith. It's through the hearing of the word that faith is given to those who are not yet believers. Revelation 1.3 the Apostle John says, blessed is the one, he records this for us, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear, understand, even today, reading of the scripture, hearing the scripture, there's a blessing there, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Revival always begins with the people of God's their lives revolving around scripture. So we see the people, they stand for the word of God. We see the people, they're listening with their ears. Then they are lifting up their hands. They're lifting up their hands. This is, what, what does this signify? Surrender. 
This is a universal sign of surrender. It's a universal sign. A child doesn't have to be taught this. Here's your manual, little one. Here's your manual. All right, when you need something, go like this. You know, the kid figures it out. Up, you know, they figure it out. I put my hands up and these big hands come down and pick me up and I get up in the world and I can see out. You don't have to teach a kid that. Like, yep, up, up, up. It's hard to fight like this unless you're a really good kicker, right? All of your vital organs are exposed. Usually this is not the tactic to go into the MMA ring. Surrender. It's worship. It's admitting I'm empty. I need you to fill me. Again, if this doesn't match my, my heart and my life and my lips, well, then this doesn't cancel that out. It's to be a reflection of it. It's to be an outworking of it in our lives. And the people bowed their heads in verse six and they worshiped. Shakar is the Hebrew word. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see what happened when they heard the word? They were brought up and they were brought down in humility. Amazed in the presence of the Lord. Are we in awe of God's word like this? Are we like these people or are we unlike these people? Are we too important? I have too much dignity to ever raise my hand or to ever bow down that if God was dealing with you and you wanted to pray here or where you're at or out, like who cares what anybody thinks? Be right, get right with God. Then we see this last and fifth response, obey the word of God. Here we see the sufficiency of the word of God. We see this in verses 6, 7, and 8. This is a, a long morning, about a six hour. I haven't done that yet, okay? Six hours. And people are attentive. They, it seems like they were standing the whole time. It takes care of the chair budget. Put more, more people in, just stand for six hours? Yeah, I think the Lord is leading me to another church. Yeah, okay, all right. To obey the word of God. Here we see in this passage right here, these verses, we see a model for small groups. It's a model for our small groups. The sermon was preached, and then what do we do? Small groups gather. And they go over the word. There's 13 men, and they're roaming through the crowds, and they're helping the people to understand. And some would say, well, maybe they didn't, you know, they didn't know the language. That's not probably it. They're saying, did you understand everything? Do you always understand everything that comes from every sermon? <laughs> Do I? Yeah. It takes work. And there's always more to learn, and there's always more room to grow. So we're never crossing that finish line this side of heaven, loved ones. So just abolish the idea, well, as soon as I know enough, then I'll tell my neighbor. Then I'll talk. No, 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 you're never going to know enough. But do you know God? He is enough, and his word is sufficient. It's enough, so share the word, plant the seed. So we gather in small groups. Why do we do what we do? Now we, we are about to come, we're in our last month of small groups, and then we take the summer off, if you think about it, small group commitment for membership is roughly about six hours a month. 
And there's a biblical basis, and so there's a practical application, like do I hear the word and do I respond in obedience or do I respond in excuses? This is what we say about our small groups. Small groups are the biblical model for transformation. We see that in the book of Acts. Small groups are the best, the only way to shepherd the whole flock. Small groups create an environment to use our spiritual gifts. This is where we grow up other leaders, teaching, serving. Small groups multiply competent ministers. Small groups foster foster biblical love. Small groups promote unity and fellowship and maturity. So members, summer's coming. When we come to September, I'm, I'm calling you as a shepherd of God clear your calendar and engage in a small group. You can't have everything you need in your own family. You're part of a bigger family, which is the church family. It's the church of God. And there's gifts and there's blessings that exchanged in this environment. This is what's happening right here. And this took a significant portion of the day. But they did it. In this place, when they gathered, it's the place for exposition and discussion. It's going back over. What what did God say? Let's read that again. Let's study that again. Let's just not let the word go through in one ear and out the other. Let's gather as iron sharpens iron and let's encourage one another in this. Discuss this. Talk about this. What has God said? What does he mean by what he said? How do we respond together to what God has said? Then we pray together and we ask God for wisdom and we pray for the love and we show love to one another and the strength to obey all that he's commanded to do and we need one another. So a husband can't be everything in this regard to a wife and a wife to a husband and a parent to a child. Men need other men and ladies need other ladies and there's environments and there's some who are single and some who are married and gathered in these environments is a mixture of all kinds of people and it's the gracious gift of God to you. And yes, it takes time and yes, you're busy, but I would challenge you, loved ones, you're not too busy to isolate away from your church family and get to know them and let them get to know you, but they might find out something about me. The Lord already knows it all and he loves you. You have nothing to be afraid of. The goal is for life application. That's why they did this. That's why they did this. So the people hear, they understand, and they obey. It's all, so what do we do? Do you know this is the hardest part of every sermon? Is so how does this apply? Thankfully, I'm not the Holy Spirit and I don't have to be the Holy Spirit. I just give the word And the Holy Spirit, I ask a couple of questions in our small group. Guide has some questions, not this week, but next week. The the questions, and then the Holy Spirit guides you. And he applies the word exactly to your heart and life where he sees fit, which is much better than being shamed and guilted. It's God doing a a good work in us. But the goal is for life application. Uh, We just read Revelation 1.3. I'm gonna read it again. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear. Okay, so right there, there's been a blessing. God has already blessed me today to read the word aloud. You've received the blessing to hear the word of God, but notice the verse doesn't end there. And who, what's the word? Keep. Keep. Observe. Hold high in regard. Precious. Lord, help me to obey. Keep what is written in it. 
for the time is near. This life is so short. So loved ones, how do we, as a people of God, what do we see from Nehemiah's day? What do we learn from them? Gather under the word, love the word, listen to the word, honor the word, and apply the word. How are we doing? Is this how I view scripture? Is this how we view scripture? Is this how you view scripture? Is it a driving factor in our lives or is it sitting on that shelf till next Sunday? May the Lord help us, convict us, encourage us. Two questions. What should I learn and apply here from God's people in Nehemiah 8? What do I need to take from them? Lord, help me. Help me and then engage. What is my next step to grow here in the community of God's people? Can we help you take that next step? Follow Christ in baptism, plug in in membership, engage in a small group. Hey, if you want to join in, what do we have? Two, two gatherings left. This, you want to join in? Join in. Just fight that excuse back of, well, maybe in the fall. Just get in there. See me. Russ, he's on, he's on vacation now. So you, you got me. All right, I'll, I'll get you plugged in. And uh, they're going to have a wonderful time. Let's stand together. The blessing of the word of the Lord. We have been blessed beyond what we can even fathom. Father, thank you for your word. And I thank you for your spirit that applies the word to our hearts. And we need the help of your spirit to obey your word in every aspect of our lives. So Father, I pray that you would call those who have never responded in repentance and faith that today they would confess their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and find him to be Savior and Lord. For those who have believed, help us to recognize the word that is at work in us. Thank you that your word is not the word of a mere man, but it is the word of the living God. Thank you for the blessing of your word. May we live in obedience today and always. In Jesus' name and for his glory alone and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.